It is, it is just uh, sometimes amazing to me that, you know, it was, this morning was one of those mornings. Um, I get up quite early and I, and I go and sit and do my last preparation for the service. I'm just one of those guys. I, I just need to be prepared. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't want to stand in front of our Father and not be prepared. And whatever He wants to do after that, that's His, his plan. And uh, as long as I'm prepared when I stand here in front of you, He can then do with me whatever He wants to, but at least I know that I've given it my best. But this morning, a couple of things happened. Sonia's alarm didn't go off, so we were a bit late this morning. I couldn't find my car keys. I couldn't find my tablet this morning. So a lot of weird things happened this morning, and uh, I said to Sonia, you know, I, I should have probably done it last night, but I didn't, and the worship team wasn't, wasn't going to be here this morning, and, and normally what I do is, uh, you know, somebody will come and, and select the songs, and, and this morning I rushed in, we were a bit late, and I sat in front of the computer and I selected a few songs for this morning, and I picked this last song, and I was going... I wasn't sure what I was going to select, and, and then I selected this last song, and oh man, was that the perfect song for this message this morning? And I want to thank Abba Father for that, because uh, it is only in the Holy Spirit that can, that can enable that. The theme for this morning is the prodigal brother. Now, you've probably heard many sermons on the prodigal son. And, and when we think about the parable, we, we always talk about the, the prodigal son. The one that left and went away and squandered his father's money and did all those things. And, and sometimes we can relate with the prodigal son. I definitely can relate to the, with the prodigal son. And Pastor Mark Hodgetts, uh, he did this a few years ago, but a, a, a earlier this year, I think it was earlier this year, he did a message, and, and Mark came and he changed the focus of the message a little bit from away from the prodigal son, and he spoke about the father, and he called his message, he called it the prodigal father. And it, it really is an excellent message, and if you haven't listened to it yet, or if you haven't heard the, the, the sermon, Mark's sermon on the prodigal father, I suggest that you, you go to our YouTube channel and you go and listen to it. It is, it is on there, it, the, the message is on there. But this morning, I want to change the focus once more. This morning, I want to speak to you about the prodigal brother. And we know this parable very, very well. And this parable is about a father who had two sons. And the youngest son decided that he wanted his inheritance. He asked it of his father. And he wanted to leave the house and to go follow his heart's desires. He wanted to go do what he wanted to do. He was tired of living at home. I don't know why it's always the youngest son that does that. He wants to do his own thing. Maybe he feels threatened by the older brother or whatever it might have been. I don't know. We don't know what it was. But he just wanted to get, to get out. But one of the things that are missed in this, in this parable is a very crucial part. When he requested in his, his inheritance from his father, his father was still alive. Now, you would never, ever receive your inheritance when your father was still alive. It just didn't happen. That was not the way that the culture worked. You cannot go to your father and ask him for your inheritance. That means that you are saying to him, you are dead to me. I want my inheritance. 
This must have been devastating to the father. When his son came to him and said to him, listen, I want my inheritance. I want to leave this house. I want to go do my own thing. I want to do, have nothing to do with you anymore. And in that moment when his father gave him his inheritance, he agreed to his son's request. And do you remember when the father was, was saw his son, he, he was saying to his servants, he said, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And he says that to the elder brother as well when the elder brother came home. And that word when he says, my son was dead, it's a reflection of what has happened there. When he said to the, to the father, I want my inheritance. You are dead. What this father does is he adheres to his son's request. He lets him go to go follow his heart's desire. Now the eldest son, the firstborn, he remained at home. He continued to work for his father. He did everything that was required of him. And, and I don't know if you know the Hebrew culture. Normally what would happen is, is if you grew up in a home, you would follow your, your father's, whatever your father did. You would follow that. And this is what the son did. He was there with his father. He did everything that was required. He, he helped his father. He helped on the farm. He did everything that was supposed to happen. But there's one thing about this father, and the amazing thing about this father is every day he was looking out to see if his son that was dead and was lost, if he didn't return. And this is a reflection of Abba Father. He was looking out to see whether his lost son and his lost daughter would not return to him. And when Yeshua was telling this parable, he was actually referring to himself as the one who came to bring back the lost into relationship and into fellowship with Abba Father. To bring atonement with our Father so that we can be in right relationship with Him again. I must, I must just tell you, um, this is a, a very emotional parable to me. So if I seem a bit emotional this morning, it was I was lost. And every time that I read this parable or when I preach about this, it feels like I'm talking about myself. And therefore I get quite emotional. But what about the brother? What about the brother, the one, the one who chose not to leave? The one who chose to be obedient? He's the one who represents the religious establishment of the day. And in our case, long-time believers in the church. The prodigal son represents the unbelievers. Or perhaps those who have fallen away from the faith. And that is exactly what happened to me in my life. But this elder brother, the one representing the religious, the one representing the faithful, or so we think. 
We are, we are in the, at the moment, we are busy with, uh, with uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. And it is quite interesting that Paul talks about the ungodly, the lost. And then he talks about the morally sound, the people who think that they, that they, are, that they are okay. And this fits into that whole process of what, what Paul is trying to depict in, the, in his letter to the Romans. Now this elder son was working in the field and, and when he returned, he heard this noise. He heard this feast going on. He heard the music and he heard the dancing that was happening. He wasn't yet aware that this was for his brother that has returned. And he just hears that there's, well, there's one massive feast going on. Now normally, normally what would happen if a father wanted to, to uh, have a feast... The brother would be there. He would be aware of it. He would invite his guests and the father would invite their guests and they would have this fatted calf and they would slaughter this calf for this big feast that they would have. But he would be aware of it. He would be there. He would next be next to his father. He would be at his father's side. But this brother, hears this feast. He hears the dancing. He hears the music. But he doesn't know what it is all about. And then we read in Luke 15, verse 25 to 28. We read the following. It says, now his eldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, now let me just tell you about this. When, when they had a feast, the whole village would have been there, <laughs> everybody that they knew. And with his father, because his dead son, his lost son has returned, he would have invited everybody that he knows to come and celebrate with him that his son is now alive again and that his son is found. And he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fat, fatted calf. Now, this thing was only killed on a very, very, very special occasion. He says, because he has received him, that is his son, because he has received him safe and sound. And, and this is quite an interesting thing, safe and sound. That just sounds, yeah, yeah, he's at home, you know, he's there. But it, this, there's actually a deeper meaning to this word, to what he says here with safe and sound is a single word that is used in the Hebrew that is um, translated with safe and sound. But it means that it, um, it is having restored the peace and it's having restored the right relationship with his son. That is what has happened here. He said, I have restored my relationship with my son. That's what he's actually meaning here. Verse 28, he says, and he was angry. This is the brother. He was angry, and he would not go in. He would not join the feast. He didn't want to celebrate with his father. He didn't want to celebrate in the joy of his father for his brother that has come back. And then his father came out, and it says, and therefore came his father out and entreated him and pleaded with him to come and celebrate with him. What the servant is saying is that the relationship between his brother and his father has been restored again. He is saying that the father has welcomed the lost son back into the family, and now that would probably never happen. Because that is not what the culture did. If your son said, you are dead to me, he was gone. He was no more your son. He was cut off. And, and you can go read in the Torah what they did with children that did something like this. They took him to the elders, and when the elders decided it was bad enough, they would stone him. But this father, this father invited him back in. 
This is a problem for the elder brother. Huge problem. Because what he is hearing is that the person who used to be his brother, who chose to separate himself from the family, who regarded the family as being dead, is now his brother again. Unheard of. Didn't happen in their culture. And with his feast, the normal process with a feast is when his father was having a feast, was that the elder brother, his responsibility would be to be at his father's side. It was, it was his responsibility to represent his father at the feast because the eldest brother, the firstborn, always represented the father. He would be the one entertaining the guests. His father would be sitting at the head of the table and he would bring the guest to his father and introduce the guest to his father and he will be entertaining the guest. He will be um, the master of ceremonies, if, if you want to call it that. He would be like the main guy. He said it was his responsibility. And now what he's seeing is that his brother is there. The lost brother is now taking his rightful place next to his father because of the joy that his father had for the son who has returned. And if he was not at his father's side which he refused to do because it says he didn't want to go into the feast. He refused to. It would have been an insult to the father and it would have been an insult to the guest if the firstborn, the eldest brother, was not there at the feast. And by saying no, I'm not going into this feast. I'm not joining you. I'm not celebrating with you. He was actually insulting his father. And when we look at this elder brother, he's feeling betrayed. He's feeling left out because he is the righteous one. He's the one who stayed behind. He's the one who was obedient. He's the one who did whatever his father wanted him to do. But what this brother is missing is that this father's rejoicing over the one that was lost and dead to the family and who's now alive again is found you see Abba father is more concerned with the one person who is lost and destined for hell than the whole congregation of saved believers is he concerned about us of course he is he loves us he loves us dearly you know in this in Luke 15 if you go read Luke 15 there are three parables and these three parables have, exa has, have exactly the same message and if you look at the message we see the the other two parables the one is about the son the prodigal son. The other two, the one is about the lost coin. And it talks about this person who goes and looks for this one coin. She had a hundred coins and, and one is lost and she, she left the 99 and she looked for the lost coin until she found them. And there was an ending to the story and, and it tells about how she rejoiced and, and celebrated that she found the coin. And then the second parable is the one about the lost sheep. The one that went missing and, and, the, and, and the, the shepherd left the sheep and he went and he looked for the one sheep that was missing and he brought it into the fold. Maybe all the sheep celebrated when he came back. There's an ending to the story. So why is this brother so angry that his brother has returned? So let us, let us put this into a bit of perspective. 
This brother is the firstborn son of his father. He is entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. When the father gave the inheritance to the, to the younger son, to the prodigal son, everything that was left was his. He would inherit everything that belonged to the father. Everything that was left was his. There's, a, there's an interesting verse in Deuteronomy 21 verse 17. And it talks about a man who, who marries a woman, but he's not very fond of her, and he marries, marries another one, a second wife, and he's, he loves the second wife, and, and now he's got a, he's a son, his first son is with the wife that he doesn't love, and the second son is with the, one that he, that, the wife that he loves. And then we see this in Deuteronomy 21 verse 17, and he talks about this husband. He says, but he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the, firstbo- to the, um, for the firstborn. So he says, when, you're, when your firstborn is with the, the wife that you hated, you cannot now change because you've got a son by the, with a woman that you love and make him the firstborn. You can't do that. The firstborn remains the firstborn. That is what being, is being said. And he says, by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. This was the right of the firstborn, that the firstborn would get the double portion. But there was a responsibility that goes with that double portion. You didn't just get a double portion to do with it whatever you wanted to. Because when the father died, the eldest brother, the firstborn, would take care of the whole family. He would then become the patriarch. And therefore, he gets the full inheritance. He gets the double portion so that he can look after the family, so that he can care for everybody else. There was an important thing that happened with this firstborn son. You see, the elder brother, he already has double of what was given to the prodigal son. But yet, he's angry and he's jealous of what his father did for his lost brother in slaughtering the fatted calf. And having a feast to rejoice about his son that has returned. You see, one thing that happened with the prodigal son, he left. And when he was gone and he hit rock bottom, he realized that it was better to be a servant in his father's house. He said, I will return to my father and I'm not worthy to be his son, but I will ask him if I can be a servant in his house. See, the prodigal son realized that he sinned against God and he sinned against his father. He came back. and He repented of his sins. Luke 15 verse 21 says, he says, and the son said to him, father, this is amazing. He calls him father. He had respect for his father. This is important. He says, father, even though he says, I want to be, I'm not worthy to be your son. I want to be a servant in your eyes. He says, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. All this guy wanted was just to be a servant in his father's house. Because he realized what he had lost. He realized what he was missing. He realized it wasn't about his inheritance, it was about his father. What his brother should have done, the elder brother, is actually communicated by Yeshua in Luke 17 verse 3. He says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespassed against you, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. 
You know what's interesting? When Yeshua says this, he doesn't say what his brother did. He said, when he repents, when he did this and this and this, then you forgive him, but oh, for these things, no, don't worry about that. So can't forgive him for that. And how many times do we think this or say this or have I heard this? When, when you talk to somebody and you say, you know, you've got to reconcile with your brother or you're going to reconcile with somebody, you say, oh, but you don't know what he did to me. Well, Yeshua says, I don't care what he did to you. If he repents, you forgive him. Regardless of what he's done to you, you forgive him. Because forgiveness sets you free, not the person that you forgive. See, this brother was unable to forgive. And instead, he was angry and he was bitter. The father invited him into the feast to celebrate with them. To celebrate that the brother who was lost, the brother who was dead, is found, he has returned. And I wonder what you and I would have done. You know, I, I read a story some time ago about this, this guy that went to the war, in the Second World War. And everybody thought that he died. And even the army reported back that he had died on the front. And his whole family and his wife thought that he was dead. And years later, I can't remember, I think it was something like 25 years later, I can't remember the, the exact date. This guy returns, he was never dead. He was lost in the bush. And he lived on his own, wherever he was. And he came back to his family. Now here's my question to you. If that was your brother, what would you have done? Would you have celebrated that he has returned? Or would you have acted like this brother? He said, I don't care. I don't care if he's alive. I don't care if he's back. I don't want him here. I want nothing to do with him. Get rid of him. I refuse to celebrate with him. I refuse to sit at the same table as he is. Do, do, we, do we feel like that about some people in our lives? You don't even want to talk to them. You don't even want to greet them. When they approach you in the street, you go into a shop, or you cross to the other side of the road, or you turn around, you go back to where you've come from. Have we done that sometimes? Have we felt like that? Then we like the prodigal brother. You know, we listen to the story and we think, you're this bad guy. Mm. Maybe we sit and we think about it, it's closer to home than we thought. See, this guy was so angry that he refused to take part in this wonderful feast. And the response of this brother must have been devastating to the father because the father goes out and he invites him and he pleads with him to come in, to come and celebrate with him. And then he says this in Luke 15, verse 29 to 30. And this is just after his father was pleading with him to come into the feast, to come and celebrate with them. He says this, And he answering said to his father, and I want you to listen carefully what happens here. See if you can, can, can notice what is missing. He says, lo, these many years do I serve you. And what he's saying, saying here, and that word to serve you means as a servant. He, he was seeing himself in the service that he did to his father. He saw himself as a servant. 
He said, neither transgressed or disobeyed I at any time your commandment. And yet you never gave me a kid. And a kid is a young animal to slaughter. He said, that I may make merry with my friends. Just have a party. Nothing special. But as soon as this, your son, you know what's interesting about this, when he calls his brother your son, he does not recognize him as his brother anymore. He doesn't say that my brother, he says your son. He said that your son was, this your son was come, which has devoured your living with harlots. <laughs> no, I don't know where he gets this from. Because here's the interesting thing. Nowhere in the parable does it say that this guy spent the money on harlots. It says he squandered his father's money. We don't know what he did. But he just adds this in. Which has devoured your living with harlots. You, you have killed for him the fatted calf. It's almost like he says, how can you do this? Look what he's done. Do you not realize who this guy is? Yeah, I know he repented, but that's not, the, that's not a problem. The problem is look at who he is. Look at what he's done to us. It's almost like he's saying to his father, do you know what he's done to this family? And you want to bring him back in? No way. I will not accept this. Do you realize what's missing in his answer and his, his answer to his father? What did the younger brother do? The brother came back and he said, Father, this son never addresses his, his father as father. There's no respect. He is not showing any respect for his father. And first of all, if we read this, this last verse, this son is confusing having fun with your friends with the return of a lost and a dead brother. This is an extremely important occasion. Somebody that was dead is alive again. Son that was lost is found. He's received back. And a relationship is restored. What is the most important thing between you and God? It's restoring our relationship. When Yeshua died on the cross for you and I, it was for the atonement so that your relationship with God could be reinstated, could be re restored. That is what it was all about. So that we can be in relationship with our Father. In the last verse, just before Yeshua tells this parable, he says this about the repentance of a lost sinner in Luke 15 verse 10. He says, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Wow. Can you imagine this? If somebody comes to the Lord and says, Father, I want to give my life to you. The angels in heaven rejoice. 
That's how important every person is to our Father. And that's why when we read John 3.16 where it says, because so God so loved this world, that love of the Father, that's the intensity of the love of our Father for every person. You see, this brother, the prodigal brother, he had an attitude of entitlement. He followed the rules, and now his father owes him. He's saying to his father, just look how good I am. Just look what I've done for you. Now you hold a feast for this son of yours? What he's doing to his father is exactly what the prodigal son did to his father. There's no difference. They disrespected him. And they did not care about the father, but they only cared for the father's possessions and what the father could do for them. You see, the elder father or the elder brother does not care about the father's joy or the return of his brother. He cares about the estate and the cost of the feast, but he does not care about his father's heart. And it reminds me of Mary. When Mary anointed Yeshua's feet shortly before his crucifixion, and she anointed the, his feet in John 12, we read that she, she anointed his feet with spikenard oil, and it was very, very expensive oil. And as she was anointing his feet, Judas came and he commented on this. And Judas said this in John 12, verse 4 to 6. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Do you think he was concerned about the poor? Let's read verse 6. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the bag and bear what was put therein. Now that word bear means to take out. <laughs> you see, he was in it for the gain. He was not in it for the relationship with Yeshua. He was in it to see what he could get out of the relationship. I'm not saying that this elder brother was a thief. But what we are seeing is that he was caring about what he could gain from the Father and not about the Father himself. It wasn't about the Father. It was about him. And this is the brother who is the moral and the religious person. You know that Yeshua was condemned by the moral and the religious people of his day? Why was he condemned? Because he spent time with the sinners and the bad people so that he can bring them back to our Father, so that he can restore the relationship with our Father, so that they can be saved. And what did they want? No, no, no. You know, we're the religious. You should spend time only with us. Leave the lost. They lost already. So we don't care about the lost. All we care about is ourselves. That's why they were so angry with Yeshua. Because they were the religious. They were the morally upright. They were the ones following the law. They were the ones doing the right thing. And you say that you're the Messiah and you spend time with the sinners? How is this possible? You should be spending time with us. Look how good we are. Aren't we a little bit like that sometimes? Our Father, look at us. We serve you. We do everything that you want from us. And look at that sinner. Look how wealthy he is. 
Look how blessed he is. What about me? And even though all this brother did all the right things, his relationship with his father was broken. Sometimes we do the right things, but our relationship with our father is broken. See, he believed that the younger brother was a sinner. He believed that he was the righteous one. The same as what the Pharisees and the scribes and some Christians think today. Paul writes in Romans 3 verse 10 to 12. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. And here's the shocking part of this to me. And when he writes to the, to the church, he writes to the congregation in Rome. He's not writing to unbelievers, he's writing to believers. And I'm going to read this again, and then that verse that I underlined, or that portion that I underlined for you, that is the important thing that we should see here. I'm just going to read this again from verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. Ouch. What does it mean to seek after God? It is to know Him, to know His will, to know His character. Verse 12 says, They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. And what Paul is saying is that we are all in need of a Savior, and we are all in need of an intimate relationship with our Father. It is not about what we can gain by being obedient. It is about who we can gain by being obedient. It is never about the what. It is always about the who. It is always about God. It is never about me. You know what is so sad? Is that the modern church has made it all about us. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about what I can do. It's all about how wonderful I am. It's all about the gifts that I can show. And there is none that seeks after God. That seeks His face. That seeks His presence. That wants to stand in the presence of our Father regardless of what happens around me. Father, if I can only be with you. And it reminds me of the prodigal son. I'm going to leave all this behind me. Because we are among the pigs. This world is like a pigsty. All he wants to do is to be with his father. To be in the presence of his father. Even as a servant, it doesn't matter. I'll be a servant. Father, I'll be a servant. Can I just be with you? You know, then this wonderful thing happens. After this brother said what he said to his father, disrespected his father. And his father comes and he reaches out to him. He reaches out to the prodigal brother. And it's exactly what our father and Yeshua do to you and I and every lost sinner in this world. He's reaching out to us every moment of every day. And he's waiting for you. 
And he's standing in the road looking to see if he would return to him. And what the father's doing, we can see the father's love, his care for this older brother. Luke 15, verse 31 to 32, he says, and he said to him, son, <laughs> hear what he says to him? He calls him son. He didn't call him father when he spoke to him. But the father calls him son. When he spoke about himself, he referred to him as the servant. I served you. He says, no, you are my son. You are ever with me. And all I have is yours. He says, it was meet, it was fitting that we should make merry and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. This father wants to include the brother in the feast. He cares for the lost. But he wants us to be included in the process. He wants us to rejoice. He's inviting him to, re to rejoice with a dead brother that is now alive again. But you know the strange thing about this parable? It just stops there. Why did Yeshua stop the, par the parable there? Why did he end it there? Why did he not give us an ending to the story? Why didn't he say, oh, and the elder brother realized what he was doing and he repented before his father and he went in and he had a celebration with his lost brother. He doesn't say that. Why did he not give us an ending to the story? What happened to the prodigal brother? Do you know why he didn't give us an ending to the story? It is because he wants you and I to recognize ourselves in the story. He's saying to us, who do you relate to? Are you the prodigal son? I know I was. Or are you the prodigal brother? Sometimes we both. He says, because they are both lost. Even the one who thought he was the righteous one is also lost. See, the one is good. The other one is bad. But both of them are alienated from the Father. Both of them were interested in using the Father for their own benefit. The older brother's righteousness is keeping him away from the Father. He was trying to get control over his father's things by keeping all the rules. Same what the Pharisees did. Same as what the scribes did. The same as what we sometimes do. Here's the thing. You can actually miss having a relationship with our Father as much through morality and religion as you can through immorality and unbelief. Remember what the Yeshua said to the morally religious of his time. In Mark 12, verse 38 to 40, he says this. And he said to them in his doctrine, that doctrine means in his teaching to them. He said this, and he said this to, uh, to them in his teaching. Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplace. They love to be greeted and to be seen. It reminds me of 
the Queen of England, you know, when she walks in the streets and she just waves at everybody. She likes to be seen. Verse 39. He says, this is what they love. And they love the, the, the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at the feast. Which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. The morally pure and the religious. And their religion stood in the way of relationship with Abba Father. Like the prodigal brother. The Pharisees did all the right things. They were obedient servants, but they were condemned because they had no relationship. Is it possible that we could be like the prodigal brother? We try hard to be obedient. We serve in the church. We pray. We do Bible study. We serve on all the church committees. We pay our tithes. And then what happens is because we do all this, we expect that God owes it to us to give us a good life and an inheritance one day. Lord, just look at what I do for you. I should be blessed. I should have a good life. Why am I suffering at the moment? Just look at me. I'm so pure and religious. You see, the problem with this attitude is that Yeshua becomes your ticket to all your desires and your expectations. But He's not your Savior and He's not your friend. Are we just using Him to get into heaven? Or do we have a real relationship with Yeshua? Do we have a real relationship with Abba Father? Would you still love Abba Father if nothing would happen with you? Would you still love him if he didn't heal you? Would you still love him if he didn't bless you? Would you still love him if he didn't guide you? Or is it about what we can gain from him? See, sometimes there are works, but there's no relationship. And through this process, we are trying to be our own saviors. And that is when we are using our Father to get what we want. When we are not looking for Him, just Himself. Not looking for relationship. And isn't that true for most relationships? You know, how many times do, do we see relationships and I speak to people? And we talk about relationships and in most, most cases when we talk about relationships and you speak to the two people within that relationship... What becomes evident is that they are both looking at what they can gain from the relationship. What can I get out of it? See, that's not relationship. That's a contract. That's an agreement. If you do this, I'll do this. That's not relationship. Sometimes we in a position where we say, Abba Father, if you do this, I'll do this. Lord, if you do this for me, I'll do this for the rest of my life. 
That's not relationship. You see, we need to obey our Father to get Him, to want what He wants, to rejoice in what He rejoices in. And that is called agape love. Agape love. Sacrificial, unselfish love. That is what agape love is. That is why Yeshua said in Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, He said, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Do you know what's interesting about that saying? Is that modern Christianity wants God to adhere to their will, and we're not adhering to God's will. And how many times have I heard this? Yeah, but you must understand the world has changed. Things are different. We can't just follow what the Bible says anymore. No, you can. That's God's will. You are following your will. You are not following God's will. And this is exactly what Yeshua is saying here. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name have cast out devils? And in your name done many wonderful works? Lord, just look at what we've done. Look how good we are. Look how wonderful we are. Lord, we operated in the, in, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In your name, we did this. And then this verse 23 says to us, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. You know this word new that is used here, it talks about intimacy. It talks about an intimate relationship. When, when the angel came to, to Mary, and he said that she was going to fall pregnant. She said to him, it's impossible because I have not known a man. It's the same word that is used. Yeshua says, I never knew you. You were never interested in a relationship with me. It was always about you, never about me. And what we see in this parable is that the lover of sin and the lover of prostitutes, as his brother said, he comes and he repents. He seeks the Father and he is saved. And the moral religious man is lost. He's the one saying, look what I've done for you. Look all these things that I've done for you. And sometimes we do the same thing. You know, we sit and we say to our Father, Lord, just look at what I'm doing for you. Look at how I'm spreading the gospel. Look at how I'm helping people. Let me tell you this. Our Father is not the one needing help. We are the ones needing help. This prodigal son and sometimes ourselves as well, we do not understand that. We miss it. Doesn't that say much about our human greed and our human attitudes? See, we believe that everything is supposed to be fair. We should get more because we have... We behave better. We've been more loyal. We've worked harder. We've always lived a moral life. We have devoted more time and money to the church. So we should have more say. We should have more privileges. But you see, that is not how God's economy works. That's how the world operates. 
God works in a completely different way. And all he wants is that we, want, that we need to seek him. All he wants is that you love him. The rest will follow. Don't care about that. Follow him. Have a relationship with him. Work on your relationship with our Father. You know, sometimes we work so hard on all the other things. We work so hard on preparing sermons. We work so hard on doing things for other people. When are we spending time and working on our relationship with our Father? Last night when I was preparing, or yesterday when I was preparing this message, message I, would, I had to look at myself. You know, the last couple of months, as Sonia and I have spoken to each other, and we've said, oh, we've been so busy. I've been so busy with ministry, and I've been so busy. But when do we stop and seek relationship? Do you think God cares about how much you do for the kingdom? He wants you to do that. But he wants you to have a relationship with him first. What we learn from the, through this parable is echoed by Peter in 2 Peter 1, verse 3 to 7. Listen carefully to what Peter says here. This is so important for you and I. This is when we seek relationship. He says, according as his divine power, so his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. To what? To life and godliness. He's given us everything so that we can have a life and that we can have godliness. He says, through the knowledge of him, through knowing him, that has called us to glory and to virtue. Verse 4, he says, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. He says the promises are there so that you and I can become part and we can take part and be partakers of God's divine nature. And what does that mean? So that we can become part of his character. So that we can take on the character of Yeshua. So that we can conform to the image of Christ. That's the important thing to you and I. He says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And when he talks about this lust, it's not just sexual lust, it's all sorts of lust. Covetousness is part of that. Verse 5 he says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godless, godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. And this word charity is not charity as we know it today. You know, charity today is, you know, somebody's in need of something and I give them a, a couple of rand. That's not charity. This word is agape. This word means unselfish, sacrificial love that we should show one another. Didn't Yeshua say to us, this is how you, they will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another? Not by what you do. Not by how well, how well you preach. They will know you by the love that you have for one another. You see, this brother had none of these. 
His priority was not the Father. His priority was Himself. And should we be focused on ourselves and our privileges as, as Christians, or should we be more concerned about the lost, the lost getting found, the dead becoming alive, the sacrifice of the kingdom, the relationship with our Father? You see, we need a changed heart. We need a changed heart where our perspective is changed in how we see our Father. We can seek Him for who He is and for what He has already done for you and I, or we can seek our own desires and expectations through Him. And absolutely, if we read this story, this story is a story of God's amazing grace and the joy of seeing people come back to Him. But we also need to learn about the older brother. And we need to make sure that it is not us. Because we don't know what became of him. Just as we don't know what will become of us. If our hearts have not been changed. You see, assurance comes not only through knowing God's forgiveness. But also in experiencing the change that having the Holy Spirit in us brings about. A change of heart, a change of mind. An attitude of entitlement and selfishness should be getting torn down. And listen, it's never too late to repent. If you are still alive, it's never too late to repent. Our Father cares more about attitude change, He cares more about your heart's change than immediate behavioral change. That's why He says He will take out his heart of stone and he will give us a heart of flesh you know I've, I've mentioned this before you know we always say have you given your heart to God it's the wrong thing to say we shouldn't be saying have you given your heart to God we should say have you received the heart of God have we received the heart of our father we should follow the advice of Paul when he writes in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. I'm going to end with this. This is so important to you and I. 2 Corinthians 3 18 he says, But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Some translation says a mirror. And what that means is that we, you and I, need to be reflecting the glory of the Lord. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, reflecting the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. May we all be changed into the image of Yeshua. Relationship first, and fellowship with our Father above all other things. May that be in your heart. May that be in my heart seek relationship so that we can be in a relationship with Abba Father so that we can gain Him and not gain things because things are not important but relationship with Abba Father is the only important thing that you and I have
when uh, when we prayed, the men prayed here yesterday morning, eight o'clock. We came together, and I mentioned that I was in two minds. Uh, there are two messages that I wanted to to prepare, and I didn't know which one to prepare for this morning. But I had confirmation this morning I decided to do this one. And this morning when we prayed together before the service, Leon, out of the blue, and Marianne said she's, she had no idea why he told us the story, but he tells, us the story, or tells me the story. And I said, thank you, Leon, for telling that story because that gives me confirmation for the message that I had to bring this morning, that this was the right message, the one that our Father wanted me to speak to you. There's a second message that I want to do, and, I, and now that I think about it, the second message will be part two of this message. And I want to talk to you about the fact that the Word says that obedience is better than sacrifice. I know Pastor Mark Hodgetts will be here next week. Um, Sonia and I will not be here next week. Mark Hodgetts will. But the week after that, the weekend after that, I'm going to do the second part of this of this message, obedience is better than sacrifice. Because I, I think the important thing to me that we, we misunderstand obedience and, and the same thing with this prodigal son, this prodigal brother, he, he misunderstood what obedience meant. He was sacrificing, but he really wasn't obedient. And I really want to talk to you about that the next time, or not next week, the week after that. But may we prepare our hearts in the meantime so that we are in right relationship with our Father, that we seek relationship above all else. Amen. Abba Father, you are holy. You are the almighty God. You are the creator of this universe. We honor you we praise you for who you are. Father, come prepare our hearts. Come change our hearts. Bring change about with through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that already lives within us. I ask you this morning that you will bring change in our hearts, in our minds. Father, that we can fix our relationship. Lord, that we are not concerned about what we can gain but that we will only be concerned that our stronger relationship is with you. Thank you, Abba Father. Through this parable, you have showed us that you are always looking out for us, waiting for our return, pleading with us to come in and feast with you. Lord, as I'm saying this, I'm, I'm thinking of your Sabbath. Every week you have prepared a feast for us. That we can come in on your Sabbath day and come and feast with you. Lord, and we, if when we don't pitch up, we're the one losing out. Like the prodigal brother. Guide us in your love, in your grace. May you have patience with us so that we can restore 
our relationship with you. We pray that in the mighty name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. to my heart, Yeshua, in the eye of the storm and fear, uncertainty has consumed me, hold on to me lest I drown, your words that can silence storms, Lord, your words that uplift and bring me new speak to my heart Yeshua restore your sweet peace in me come speak to my heart Yeshua I'll find rest under your wings for you give my soul a shelter you wipe all my tears away Your words that can heal my sadness Your words filled with kind compassion and warmth And speak to my heart, Yeshua Your presence is filled with peace Search me and know my heart, Lord. Help me that I can obey. That I may rejoice in your love. 
surrender to all your mercy and grace. Come speak to my heart, Yeshua. Teach me with your gentle voice that I may rejoice in your love. Surrender to all your mercy and grace. Come speak to my heart, Yeshua. Teach me with your gentle voice.